Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Friday, February 5th, and today's podcast is all about arbitrage and getting things for free. We're going to start by talking about retail arbitrage, where people buy things at Walmarts that are closing and then sell them online for profit. And then we're going to move on to the Dell EMC merger and talk about how you can get something for free or kind of almost free uh, out of that merger at this point. So, Chris, why don't I set the stage for our retail arbitrage conversation? Uh, This was kind of sparked by an article in the Wall Street Journal that came out over the weekend. It was called Walmart Closures Bring Out Amazon Sellers. And basically what happens is people go to Walmarts. Uh, the Walmarts are closing. They offer everything at a big discount. People, some professional kind of uh, liquidators buy things at a big discount. They say they'll buy just about anything they can buy at the Walmart. And then they'll turn around and sell them for a profit on Amazon. And uh, Chris, I know this conversation is going to be near and dear to your heart. And the reason I know that, I'll let the readers, the listeners in on a little secret, is because yesterday you and I had just eaten breakfast and you got an email uh, offering free bagels and we were immediately out the door running to get some free bagels. And I believe the words, free bagel day is my favorite day of the year, came out of your mouth several times. So how do you feel about uh, retail arbitrage? I love free stuff. I've always loved free stuff. I think I love free stuff as much as anybody possibly could. I honestly don't think I've met anyone who loves free stuff more than you. The funny thing is, is I'm really not much of a consumer <laughs> other than books to read, running shoes to run in, and a computer with decent memory. I have no consumption aspirations. I just like the freeness of stuff. That's pretty much the only aspect of stuff that I really like. Yeah. Well, so the freeness of stuff was kind of what attracts us to this article. But I thought I think what uh, kind of the meat of the article is there's a lot of stuff that is similar to our investing style in here, right? Mm -hmm. Like in this case, a Walmart is closing. They are a forced seller. They Mm -hmm. want to liquidate their inventory for something. They really don't care if it's five or ten. If it's five or ten percent of face value, they want to sell. People are willing to do work and go and buy things that kind of they can sell quickly and easily. So the article mentions. Consumer electronics, very liquid online market. If you sell them quickly, you can get close to face value. A couple others. People who are willing to do work and find that can buy things and turn 10000 into 30000 pretty quickly. So I think that's really the meat of the article that we intellectually liked about that. So uh, what, what do you think about that? You know, it's interesting. Um, I love forced sellers because I have a lot of deference for people's local knowledge. If mm-hmm. somebody uh, is a stranger to me, I have a pretty respectful assumption that they have relevant and adequate intelligence and judgment for their area of yep. expertise that they function in. So I rarely want to take the other side of it. If mm-hmm. somebody has a prospect, I usually assume it's about right. I never I never responsibly take the other side of a deal for something that somebody has asymmetric information on and I'm the chump. I love it when I can win without making the other side the loser. They're simply trying to get rid of stuff. Yes. And so if they're trying to get rid of stuff or do something that is not narrowly economic, uh, and what's interesting about that is it's not only the case for Walmart because they need to dump their supplies, but it's also the case for some of the specific products on which this works well, such as Legos and Star Wars. They want to protect their franchise. They want to do certain things that involves, at least for a while, not charging market clearing prices. Uh, Frequently, the highest 
priced, most uh, dear Star Wars Legos items, they will cap at, say, $499, mm-hmm. even if the market clearing price would be 5000 yep. Actually, literally, that was the, the Millennium Falcon. You know, that's the market clearing price, but they have. And so um, you can look uh, in sports, too, for a quick analogy, uh, where there's no shadow of the future, people charge market clearing prices. If you would like to sit down in the front row of a boxing match, a one-on-one mm-hmm. uh, event where promoters are pricing that, you can show up that evening and pay market price, $10,000 yeah. perhaps. Uh, but teams that have regular attendees year after year yeah. Yeah. don't charge market clearing prices because they have something else at stake. Uh, I have nothing else at stake. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'm happy to be an intermediary between people with non-economic prices and the market price. So I think... We've talked about this on the podcast a lot. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we talked – and we're going to talk about another one. Uh, but we talked about Diax. It had a CVR. Yep. And there are a lot of reasons that uh, – a lot of reasons professional investors cannot own a CVR. Mm-hmm. They're difficult to account for and all this sort of stuff. So when you bought the Diax deal, it was thirty-seven thirty plus a CVR. Mm-hmm. The CVR was literally given being given away for free because people did not want to own it. You could buy from an almost forced seller in that spot. And uh, very similar with buying from a team who's selling things at face value. The face value is way understated what the market price is because they're a forced seller at something below price to gender engender goodwill. You, you could never too frequently bring up the DIAX investment because you bought it for less than nothing. <laughs> uh, if this goes horribly wrong from here, yep. you'll make a moderate return. If it goes well from here, it'll be triumphant. And I kind of want all of our investments be, to be between mediocre and triumphant. Which that one was. Now, what about people who would say, uh, and I think we hear this a lot, it's unethical for you to go to a Walmart that's closing and Mm -hmm. buy all of their stuff for 5% of face value and then sell it all at face value and make a big – and make a big return. Is it unethical to do something like that? You know, there are people who dislike the aesthetics of yep. it kind of for reasons that they haven't fully enunciated. And then some people who are really troubled by it. And I get that reaction sometimes. Uh, and I defer to it. I would say that people who don't want to participate in arbitrage simply shouldn't. Yep. I can tell you my reaction, which is that Walmart is a, a corporation. It is a uh, intricate, interlocking group of contracts. And I believe dealing with strangers in the marketplace that you owe them honesty, complete honesty, robotic honesty in every case to the letter of rules. But do you owe them generosity? Do you owe them uh, kind of, and I would simply say uh, they are not, and they're not close to being my favorite charity. Uh, And as such, I will follow all of the rules and exploit them to the furthest possible extent. It's funny because I don't think anybody's ever going to complain about taking advantage of Walmart. But uh, absolutely, some people, when they hear about this sort of stuff, it's just funny. They say, oh, that's not the... I mean, the rules are there and say you can do that, but that's really against the rule system. And it's one of those things we've talked about a couple times, like... Uh, you really want people to be free to do whatever makes the most sense for them. Yes. What you should be worried about in the rule system is what happens if people follow the rules exactly because that's when people who really follow the letter of the law can take advantage and create these arbitrage opportunities. And of course I should add, there's a time and place for generosity. I don't spend mine on Walmart. But when I was young, my dad used to call from the front seat of the car uh, when I was betting my sisters. You know, if I kind of came, I always had terms that were a little bit one-sided uh, when I was 
scalping money from my two baby sisters. And he would kind of white knuckles holding the steering wheel have to say, uh, this isn't a business. This is a family. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes even make me return money that I had fair and square uh, taken off of my uh, sisters. Yeah. So uh, I think that's it on retail arbitrage and all forms of arbitrage. Anything else here? That's it. Okay, great. So uh, we're going to turn to Dell EMC in a second. But before we do that, a uh, quick request. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. If you already follow us, one way you can really help this podcast is by giving us a rating. Uh, you don't even need to write anything. You just need to click one through five stars. Uh, five stars is the highest. If you like this podcast, hopefully you're going there. But if not, uh, please just be sure to rate us and leave us some feedback. That helps the podcast. So, Chris, let's turn to Dell EMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who kind of don't follow the markets too closely, Dell, Dell EMC, Dell is the computer company everyone comes to know, though they're really shifting away from just being a laptop-making computer company into a lot of services. But they are undergoing what is called a mega merger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dell is buying EMC in a deal that was valued at $67 billion when it was announced. It's a little lower than that now for reasons we'll talk about. But the basics of it are they're buying EMC for $24.05 per share in cash plus a VMware tracking stock that uh, today, undiscounted, is worth $5. And we're going to dive into the tracking stock in a second. But right now, uh, EMC is trading for $24.55. So you can create this tracking stock that is, again, undiscounted, worth $5 for about $0.50. And there have been times in the past couple weeks where you could buy it for free. So, Chris, why don't we start and talk about some of the complexities of the deal? Why would this be a deal that gets discounted? Why would this opportunity exist? Sure. Um, well, for any value investor, uh, and, and, and in my yeah. world, uh, investor is short for value investor, uh, would have to follow a lot of minutiae around this process. So if you wanted to decide whether you should buy or perhaps short EMC, uh, there, there's a lot of a procedure that's required to understand. It's not that hard. I love it. I, I spend all my time thinking about mm-hmm. such things. But if you wanted to uh, divest yourself of the responsibility to follow such things, you wouldn't own this right now. So a typical merger arbitrage stock will be, oh, we're buying you for $30 in cash. And Mm -hmm. then the deal, the stock's at $29.50 and you can decide, buy if you think it's going to go through, sell if you don't. Or we're going to give you $10 per share in our stock. And then you can short one stock, buy the other stock to kind of lock in that ratio. Exactly. So arithmetically, you can hedge it perfectly as long as it's risk arbitrage so it's the risk of the event occurring or not but as long as the event happens to the penny you can hedge that out that is not the case for a small handful of deals that we're particularly interested yep. in including this one so why don't we talk I've, i mentioned vmware tracking stock mm-hmm. that is worth uh, about five dollars today now vmware is a publicly traded company mm-hmm. emc owns roughly 80 percent of them the other 20 percent floats publicly And as part of this deal, EMC is issuing a tracking stock to their shareholders as part of the consideration. So why don't you dive into both what a tracking stock is and why a tracking stock is being used here? A way to think about it is uh, it's the difference between hard currency and uh, a fiat currency. It, Mm -hmm. it, It represents something in a... Uh, it, it tracks, it represents the economic value without your actually being the 
equity owner of yep. the company. I, I should say it cuts into how uh, I and and we think about investing, which is the kind of proprietor model of we're the owner of the business. Yep. Uh, now, we only own a percentage of it, not all of it, but we behave and think like owners. Well, in this case, you're not actually the owner. Yep. So what it is, is a normal stock, you know, 100 shares outstanding, you own one, you can say I own 1% of that company. In this case, a tracking stock, 100 shares outstanding, you own a tracking stock that that follows the value of one share of the company. So it's supposed to track kind of as the company's value rises and falls, but you don't get a vote in how the company performs, and there are a couple other differences. Uh, now, tracking stocks are very famous in the value investing world. Mainly, they're extremely rare but famous, mainly because John Malone has used them to great effect to avoid taxes. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about a little bit about why you would use a tracking stock to avoid taxes? Yeah, no. Uh, so, well, there's two issues here. There's the tax issue, mm-hmm. uh, which is that you don't have the same change of control. I believe, by the way, this year, the tax treatment of this is being discounted. Mm-hmm. The uh, tax inversions and other types of tax efficient deals that are currently legal under statute are being called into question. Yes. I will throw out that this one is uh, perfectly fine. Uh, It is not going to be a taxable uh, deal. Uh, And and so, but that that is one of the reasons why people, famously Mr. Malone, uh, uses them uh, to great effect. Um, And then the other uh, issue uh, with uh, the tracker is it requires less financing from the buyers than mm-hmm. if they just bought 100% of them. Exactly. So if they if uh, Dell had offered EMC shareholders full value, $30, $30 per share instead of 24 that's an extra $6 billion that they'd have to raise in debt or equity out of Michael Dell's pocket or some combination thereof. And $6 billion is uh, not chump change. So by using a tracking stock, they can reduce the amount of financing they need to do. Now, uh, one of the big things is I've mentioned a couple times, $5 undiscounted value yeah. of VMware. Why would a tracking stock be uh, a little discounted versus the VMware stock that trades in the market? Sure. And you said this, but let me just repeat. The market price we're talking about spending today, twenty four fifty four, but it's been in the last, I mean, this year, a well under uh, $24. You could have bought it below the cash value. And yep. you get twenty four oh five. And you actually, uh, if you write puts, say you write a put going out into September, say uh, the $24 puts have enough premium, you really literally can buy it for free net of the... Mm-hmm. A net of the cash you get back. Um, does it deserve a discount? Yes, it deserves some discount. I mean, my first whack at this has been coming up with a price that's between three and four dollars. So the tracking stock would be worth five dollars without a discount. You're basically saying it's probably worth twenty-five to twenty percent discount to the face value because of the control issues and all the other issues we talked about. The, the category I put it in is agency problem. Mm-hmm. And the agency problem is what if people who are completely rational and incidentally the folks who run Silver Lake and uh, Mike Dell are people I'd put on the high end of the spectrum mm-hmm. of completely rational. But what if they're completely rational in an embedded game for themselves yeah. uh, as opposed to uh, me? Uh, it's It's distinctly possible that they love their kids more than mine and so they're trying to enrich themselves i certainly uh operate under the assumption that that is the case so after after the deal closes uh you'll own the tracking stock but dell emc will own 55 percent of vmware in economic interest but in control terms they'll own 100 percent so one of the big questions is well does michael dell he owns 55%, but does he take all the economics away from VMware and transfer it to Dell EMC because he controls it? He can do that. 
enrich Dell EMC at the expense of VMware. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, I'm going to quickly go through. Uh, we talked about a couple, but why do I think this opportunity exists? Tracking stocks, very rare, not normal stock. Because of the rarity, it's more difficult to hedge. You don't want to short one share of VMware for every one share of tracking stock you get. That makes people less into it. B, people don't like tracking stock. Talked about that. C, VMware was at $82 per share when the deal was announced. It's currently worth $45 per share. So the deal economics have really changed because that tracking stock's value has been cut almost in half due to VMware collapsing. And D, this is a $67 billion merger. I think we've noticed, and there's no hard evidence of this, but we've noticed deals this big are so big they trade at a little bit wider spread just because it's very difficult for kind of merger arb type people to come in and close the gap because they need to be just buying billions and billions of shares and they just don't have the money for that. My, my rule of thumb has always been it's between 10 and $20 billion if you simply take the aggregate merger arb funds typical full positions. Yep. Beyond that it is a little bit less efficient. Yep. And, and then uh, we're running out of time. So we've gone through the opportunities, covered the track attack. I just want to talk real quickly. There are obviously risks. Let's talk about some of the risks, and I'll let you uh, handle them. Sure. Um, so what I think this is, is it's a plus 10% or so straight-up opportunity. It'll close by this October. Uh, the It's about a high teens yield return to its expected value. Yep. Uh, so we mention this all the time, but just to cover it, 10%. Uh, return, but annualize it's more because it'll close within yep. less than a year. Yep. And if you get 10% in a month, that's you know 120 plus percent annualized. This is six months, 10%, so but high the, teens. Yep. But there's more. Uh, that I think it's reasonable if the vote is called into question, as it might be on the EMC side, mm-hmm. that Dell's going to have to revisit the tracking provisions. Mm-hmm. So in the months to come, people who follow us on Sifting the World and elsewhere will hear more from us about the provisions of the tracker. Why should there be a discount? One, there's financing risk. We're in a tough financing market. They're going to have to go to the market to raise debt to do this deal. Tens of billions of dollars of debt. So the, uh, it's going to if the market stays tough, this is going to be one of the first things that gets hit just because it would take up so much. There are regulatory risks. Uh, the deal might get blocked. It won't. Uh, spoiler alert. But it, it could. Um, uh, there could be a material adverse change. It's it's reasonable uh, to be concerned that Dell and Silver Lake will look at this and not like it as much when it's time to show up with money as they do now. Uh, it is not a strategic deal in the sense of it is not it, it, it is a leveraged buyout it doesn't have uh, all of the aspects that public on public companies do mm-hmm. in terms of taking out uh, uh, taking out the costs um, and the multi-party a buyer consortium having Silver Lake and Dell involved together uh, one of them might still like it and the other one doesn't yep. the more parties that have to show up when it's time to pay us uh, the more things in theory could go yeah. on so the, I think what it comes down to is really two things it's uh, the deal expected to close in October, mm-hmm. eight months from now. Yeah. So eight months from now, when you still need to raise financing and there's 60, $67 billion on the line, is a long time for very sophisticated parties who could say, oh, the economics have changed. We need to change this deal. And the other thing is, uh, at the time the deal was announced, it was for $33 a share because VMware has come down so far and the tracking stock has been discounted so much. Today, you're kind of getting $24 mm-hmm. a share or so. So it's reasonable to think shareholders might say, hey, Dell, you need to change this deal to improve the economics on our end. And then you get into a little bit of a standoff where Dell says, no, like the market's down. We're not going to change it. 
shareholders say, no, you need to give us more, and the deal breaks because everyone's in a kind of uh, game the, of chicken. And the markets hate uncertainty. I mean, I should say that that's the time that we're going to be very involved in trying to understand this properly because that's yeah. going to be very interesting. The market's going to discount the uncertainty even beneath the probabilistic weighted different outcomes there. Great. Okay, so I think we've covered everything. I, I think full disclosure, we're long a little EMC. Uh, so just full disclosure there. I think it's a good, not great opportunity. Uh, that's it. Any Anything else there? Agree with everything? Chris is saying, I have nothing to add. <laughs> Chris is saying he agrees. All right. So uh, thanks again for taking the time to listen to us. But please be sure to follow us, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. If you haven't already, please rate us. Uh, that's it for today, and have a great weekend.